Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Welcome, everybody, to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. I hope everybody's having a phenomenal summer so far. I know I have. I've went, geez, we went 20 days or so camping in our RV with 17 family and friends all over Alaska, went 1,000 miles, hiked about 60 miles, walked or hiked about 60 miles around those campgrounds and whatnot, and we've had a blast. I hope everybody else in Alaska is doing the same we want to thank everybody that listens, watches, and reads Must Read Alaska. We do this to spread conservative news through all the nooks and crannies of Alaska. If you want to help keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska, we're not funded by some dark web nonprofit money conglomerate. We're just funded by everyday folks who care about conservative news in Alaska. You go to mustreadalaska.com. On the right-hand side, there's a little donate button. Every $5, $10, even $100 helps. So if you already do that, we want to thank you for being partnered with us. And uh, without further ado, we have a very special guest today, Mayor Dave Bronson of Anchorage. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, Mayor. John, my friend, uh, good, to, good to talk to you again. And uh, it's my, my honor being on, the, uh, on the, your premier uh, uh, blog. Uh, I'd, I'd like to say that maybe on a correction there, you said you're interested, you know, your, your listeners are interested in conservative news. My experience with Must Read is that it's those people that are actually interested in just the truth. Uh, and I think the truth doesn't have a political viewpoint. It's just the truth. But maybe I'm too much of a uh, of a purist or something. But that's what I've always appreciated about what Suzanne has done is she gets to the truth. And the truth is what it is. So, But anyways, happy to be here. You guys are doing a fantastic job. Well, I appreciate it. You've hit the two-year mark. I think that's very exciting. You came in in a very tumultuous time where you had um, a previous mayor had resigned. There had been an interim mayor. And I think Anchorage was looking for a new direction, a direction uh, from a leader who cared about businesses. As folks can remember, during COVID, the previous mayor who had resigned had basically locked down Anchorage and, you know, shattered and shut down businesses and Mayor, you came in there and you were the, we were open for business mayor, much like Charlie Pierce was here on the Kenai Peninsula. And so you've hit the two year, year mark. Talk to us about some of the strides you've made. Let's go into public safety first. Tell us about public safety, how that's been, some of the things that um, you and your team have accomplished and some of the things you're excited about as it relates to public safety. Right, well, as you kind of allude to, Public safety is the single most important thing and the greatest responsibility, I think, of government. And uh, so we, uh, I'm, I'm a big supporter of the police, <coughs> excuse me, the police and fire departments. Uh, we've got some fantastic chiefs of both police and fire. They're doing a great job. Um, you know, our, our, our manpower on the police side is a little bit short. This, uh, it's pretty clear to us that uh, this defund the police movement around the country has harmed our recruiting and our retention. You know, these police officers are, are, are quite frankly heroes to me. 
And uh, when they're condemned in public, uh, when they're when they're you know cursed at in public and and even attacked in public, that that that's an attack on the very fiber of our society. And uh, I won't stand for it. Um, I support our police officers, and uh, and I and I. I bring to them the funding that they need. Uh, I mean, I, I make them hold to a budget, but I'm I'm pretty generous, and uh, I believe we need to get up to full manning at the police department. The fire department, um, they don't have as as great a challenge on the recruiting and retention. We have got uh, we have a class uh, class day fire department here, um, and uh, the chief. Uh, our our um, Chief Schrock, he somehow has this unique skill of bringing in federal and state money to our fire department, and uh, which offsets in uh, some of the uh, property taxes. So when people see increased funding on the, on the fire department uh, because of these grants that he can somehow magically get, uh, compliment him when you see him because that, that helps to reduce property taxes. And, and that's a good thing obviously. And because one of the parameters within which I must operate is, is, is to lower property taxes. And we do that by trimming government. Uh, we do that, uh, I think, effectively here. We're now actually facing a, a, a situation where a lot of our departments are undermanned, and a lot of that's due to, in fact, most of it's due to the state raising pay scales over there. And we've got people leaving for the state and leaving for private enterprise. And uh, we are losing some real key people. And, and so we're ramping up our uh, recruitment and retention efforts, and uh, especially at the police department. Um, that is the most honorable work you can imagine in any society, being a police officer. And uh, we need to, I remember 30 years ago, I applied to the Anchorage Police Department, went through much of the process, and I think on our first day, sitting at the Egan Center, taking that very first test, there was about 11 or 1,200 people in the room. And now the chief is telling me we could be down to 50 or 60 applying. And then with the problems with, you know, maybe previous drug use and everything else, we're struggling to fill the academies. And, and we're, we're keeping it. At, uh, we've got it. We're trying to fill our two academies a year. Uh, we've been doing that. I support that wholeheartedly. But I think the young men and women in this city and need to understand this is honorable work. It's greatly appreciated in Anchorage. And to if, if you think there's anything in your future that would suggest public service, service as a matter of being a police officer, please apply to the Anchorage Police Department. Um, we have a good benefits package. We do very well. And... Um, and I, I just can't encourage you enough if you're interested in public service and a great career. So let's hit on one more thing on public safety. You are becoming very technology savvy with your city as it relates to public safety. Safety. Tell me about this new app that um, you all are a part of or maybe developed that detects heart attacks. This is fascinating. Well, is yeah, it's what it is. It's called Pulse Point. It's a life-saving free app. It is what it does. It notifies users when someone in their area has a heart attack. It's kind of a geofencing thing and uh, notifies people and that there is a heart attack in the area. And then if that if the person who is notified is, you know, CPR trained, they can they can rush to that person. 
and uh, and of course all of our fire department uh, folks when they're on duty off duty they're they're on that uh it's pretty innovative um uh, chief shroggy again um led that effort and he brought them on board uh with his team uh and uh it's a lifesaver the the numbers are are actually uh pretty impressive it's uh, it's in in anchorage is what it does the number of it rose it, it it increased the number of people that uh have heart attacks the survival rate increased by 13 percentage points to over a 57 percent survival rate of heart attacks uh the and keep in mind for perspective the national average is only 34 percent so this thing this app um is saving lives um, nearly every day. And um, that we've got one of the finest EMS agencies in this uh, system in the, in the country by far. And this, this app really contributes to that. So again, kudos to the fire department, kudos to uh, Chief Shroggy and his, and his executive team for bringing this on board and executing on it. So we were, were quite proud of him and, and, his, and his department. That's awesome. Well, let's shift gears for a second. And one of the things that was important to you as you came into office was good governance. I think the folks in Anchorage mm-hmm. saw things from the previous uh, mayor uh, that probably just weren't up to par. They didn't pass the kind of the sniff test. There was rumblings of during COVID when he was he was shutting down businesses with the assembly uh, that you know allegedly some of the restaurants that he was a part of, well, they could stay open, but the other ones couldn't. And so I think as you came into office, good governance was something that you took very seriously. So talk to us about some of the policies and steps that you all and you and you and your team have taken towards good governance. Well, certainly reducing the footprint uh, of government is important. I'm a small, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a conservative with a, a strong libertarian uh, sense, I guess, to me, or an ethos. Um, I, uh, when it comes to COVID, yeah, COVID was very important to all of us. A lot of businesses were driven out of business, not by COVID directly, but by the shutdowns and the rules uh, associated. Um, I, I, I took a different stance. Um, I eliminated to the degree that I could all the COVID restrictions. I we were you know doing mandatory masking. Uh, the uh, meta analysis now of, of all the studies, uh, masking did not stop the spread of uh, or didn't slow the spread of COVID transmission. It just didn't. But there is a place for masks in in certainly in the surgical world and 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 when they're used professionally by people trained in in PPE. Uh, my thing is is. And maybe I had the advantage of 24 years serving in the uh, in the military, but I am instinctively extremely cautious when the when the government comes in and tells you to do something, inject something into your body or do this or that. So I had this instinctive um, um, questioning about about when the government tells me to do something and the military would do that. They'd say, I, you know, back in what, 2003, they would come in and say, all right, it's time to go to the middle East. Um, we're, uh, we're going to start getting line and we're going to pump a lot of drugs into you. And I was in the air national guard at the time. And I says, you know, 
with the autoimmune issues re related to all that, I don't think it's government's job to compel that kind of stuff without a lot of thought. And, you know, the vaccine gave me great pause. Um, and in fact, I brought up a team of experts. Uh, they sat in my office uh, in multiple meetings. I got to spend, in fact, um, the gentleman who invented the mRNA, mRNA technology um, that, uh, that allowed for a couple of the vaccines, um, he, he had great questions and it turns out it was good he questioned. So I followed a body of thought that we need to uh, be real cautious and um, on what we put into our bodies in, the, in an untested vaccine. because So people know the big numbers are normally a vaccine has to be tested for seven to 10 years multiple cycles uh, of, of whatever it's trying to prevent against, say the flu or something else. Well, this one was put in in a matter of weeks. And, and I understand, I'm not picking political sides, I understand President Trump at the time, he ordered it and he wanted to move. So whether it was he or Biden, that President Biden that forced it, uh, that's not the point. The point is, is we need to be cautious. And more importantly, I think as a libertarian, is that the government doesn't have the right to tell you to put a vaccine into your body, to compel you to do that. I was stridently against that. So as we came into office and as and I entered office and started talking to our employees, I had multiple employees, especially in police and fire, came to me and says, thank you for not compelling us to get that vaccine because I was going to quit if, um, if, if you were to compel that. And you know, I think some people voted me, voted for me simply because of that. My job is I didn't do that for votes. I did it because it was the right thing to do. Uh, on the other side, you know, through my health department, I provided vaccines and I provided masks and all that kind of stuff. Because as again, as a conservative or libertarian, if you want a vaccine, I will provide it. If you don't, I'm not going to compel it. And uh, I think that's government's proper role is to provide information and to provide opportunities, but compelling us to do something with, uh, in the sense of forcing a vaccine, uh, I, I had real problems with that and I had experience with that and I wasn't going to go there. Um, that's not government's place. So anyways, yeah, get the best, the best government is the government that governs least. And, um, and that that's been an ethos of mine all my adult life. So I, I stuck with stuck with that once I got into office. Nice. Well, yeah, I think, you know, the ex extreme views of, you know, you have to get a vaccine and you have to get 10 boosters or, you know, nobody gets a vaccine. Nobody should get a vaccine. I think people forgot that there's a middle road where if you want to get a vaccine and 20 boosters, go for it. Just right. Tell me I have to do the same. I'll just do whatever I want. You do whatever you want and we'll call it good. And I think that that's the beauty of America is that we should be able to have different, those different viewpoints and opinions on things, whether it's vaccines or schools or whatever, and be fine with not landing on the same page. And so I appreciate your viewpoint. Talk to me a little bit about um, the you guys got some sort of a big grant, I want to say, and I'm pulling it up here because I wrote my Oh, for the port? Yes, the, the port. So you guys, let's talk a little bit about the port because I think you broke some sort of a record. You got 
You have right. you got the biggest appropriation, at least that anybody could remember, maybe even in the history of appropriations. Talk to me about, about the port, why it's so important that we fix it. You know, I think that most people don't realize that when they go to Walmart or Fred Meyer or Three Bears or Costco, these goods, you know, we just kind of take for granted that these goods show up on a shelf. Well, it takes a lot of work to get those goods to be on the shelf. Port of Anchorage is usually behind most of that. So why is the Port of Anchorage so important? And what are some exciting things that you've done the last couple of years about it? Right. Let's start with that, with the importance of the port. 90 to 95% of the citizens of this state are fed, supplied. Everything you get um, uh, comes over that port, that dock. And um, and the dock is failing. It's approaching the end of its service life. So real short, the engineering, I'm a detail guy, but I'll, I'll keep this simple. The dock is supported by a bunch of columns, steel uh, columns that are not filled with concrete and rebar. They're just metal pipes stuck down in the ground, some of them approaching 200 feet stuck into the ground. And they're, corro- they're, they're failing, they're, there's, they're corroding, for lack of a better phrase. And um, so if, when you get to a very low tide, you look at these columns and there's a band width of about, I don't know, roughly 10 feet, where the corrosion is extreme. And to the point where you can see through, there's holes through, through them when they drain the water just kind of uh, comes out of them and it's very serious uh and so just say so look at it like it is our food is dependent on a structure that's completely failed or is in at risk of completely failing the earthquake we had a few years ago uh had it gone seven more seconds the engineers subsequently told us the port would have failed and when i mean fail it would fall off downhill into the water. If that happens, um, uh, we've got a big problem because now you've got you've to bring in ships to remove that before you can rebuild the dock to supply. So we're back to really old school, you know, folks like, oh, Jim, Jim Jansen over at um, Linden. And we, we would be, our shippers would probably be uh, bringing in um, food on barges to the beaches, and we'd be offloading that way. We'd get a little bit from Seward and Whittier, but all the ports combined do not have the capacity of that port. And that port, people say, well, we'll just do a Berlin airlift kind of thing, and we'll do that. You can't. It, that's not possible because those four ships, two on Sunday, two on uh, on Tuesdays from Tote and Matson, when they that cargo, that equivalent would be the, the same as uh, equivalent of 700, 747 cargo yes. flights. That's, not, that's and, never, never going to happen. Well, the, those aircraft don't exist. And, and, and every, I, I spent 18 years flying 747 cargo aircraft uh, for Northwest Airlines. I have a sense of that business. That capacity doesn't exist. And no one's going to give up their, you know, lower 48 gets their cargo shipments uh, on set from 747s from Asia or wherever. They're not going to give up their capacity uh, cargo. So it's not going to happen. So this is this is an Alaska problem specifically. It's an anchorage problem. And the port is managed and controlled by the mayor, who happens to be me right now. Now to the program, we have a, a, a port modernization program that's been in effect, in effect for 
quite a few years now. And when I came into office, it was being managed. This $2 billion construction project was being managed, I thought, by the wrong people. It was being managed by um, uh, our, our, our employees, our port employees, who have a great deal of experience managing a port. They have zero experience in building a port. It's two different, completely different things. And managing a port, which they do extremely well, uh, has to happen as we build the port. So I came in, I looked at it, and this, this happened within a few weeks. I went to the engineering company that was working for the, our, our municipal municipality as a contractor, Jacobs Engineering. I says, I, I think you guys need to be building this port, not me. And they says, we've been asking for this for years. And I said, okay, it's yours. And, and I'm going to monitor your progress. I'm going to hire engineering firms to, to monitor you. And, uh, and if you screw up, I'll, I'll fire you and find another company to build the port. And he says, thank you very much. Well, we're back on track. Um, we're actually a little bit of, ahead of now of the uh, construction schedule. Uh, Jacobs is doing um, a great job at, at doing that. The port management team is, uh, they're up to their neck in the management at, because it's like completely remodeling your house as you have to, you're, as you live in your house. And that's what our port management team is, is challenged with. Um, so we've started on several of the phases. We're, we've already standing up the new administration building because the previous one is built on the dock. That's the last place in a modern, it was good when it was originally built many years ago. Now it doesn't work because dock space is so valuable. Uh, back then, we didn't have containers and all the cargo had to come through our building to be checked. Well, we don't do that. When the container comes off a ship, it's, it's attached to a truck with wheels and it's brought immediately to FedEx, Fred, or excuse me, um, Costco, Fred Myers, all the retail, you know, three bears. And it's, it, it's absolutely a miracle when you watch these two companies offload ships and, and how fast they can do it. It's, it's a work of art. It's almost like watching operations on an aircraft carrier. It's, it's that precise. So, um, so anyways, we're, we're moving the port administration building. Uh, we're stabilizing uh, the north end of the docks. Um, um, you know, the old sheet pile issue that we had several years ago. Um, uh, the sheet piles buckled during the driving them in. And uh, during the tide cycles, soil was leaching out into the current, which caused sinkholes way back from the water line. So uh, that's, and, and with bigger ships now coming in with Toten Matson, we, we need to get that peninsula, for lack of a better phrase, of land out of the way. We're removing that. We're salvaging that uh, gravel and uh, hope, hopefully to be used with other projects. Someone thought it might be a good idea to take it out in the inlet and dump it. And I says, we don't waste that kind of resource. We paid a lot of money for that gravel and we're, we're going to store it and we're going to reuse it. Um, so anyways, we are, so the folks know we have two docks in the port project, uh, the port reconstruction project. Um, when we get up the, when the first one is stood up, so when we have a seismically secure dock, the first one, that is food security. 
because we, we really want to get to two docks, don't get me wrong, because we want to be able to offload two ships at a time, like we're doing two on Sundays and two on Tuesdays. But if, if we get one dock stood up, that's seismically secure, and then we have an earthquake and the other dock fails, we're going to be okay because we will just sequence those four ships one day at a time throughout the week. We have that scheduling capability, and that's what our port manager would, would do. And, of course, that has long, long-term effects because there's an entire infrastructure in Seattle and Tacoma and the entire Northwest, which supplies us. They're built on two ships twice a week if they had to change, you know, for eggs and milk and things like that. Um, if they had to change, that would be a big thing, but they would change because we need the stuff. So, uh, and the good news is, is the uh, PCT, the petroleum cement terminal is up and running. We've had a couple, three ships through there now. So we have a seismically secure um, dock for petroleum and for cement. That big dome you see out there, that's our cement um, storage facility. And uh, so we're, we're well on our way. The, the port management team, the port construction team, they've done great work. And my job is, is to get as much money as I can from state and federal. Uh, we've already chipped in as a municipality to the tune of $165 million in revenue bonds. Uh, but it's a $2 billion project. And at, in 2025, late 2025, whoever's mayor at that time is going to have to make the decision about, um, uh, uh, about how we're going to fund the rest of it. And that will be through revenue bonds, which are paid for by the ton through surcharges. And we can do that. We're at about $3.40 a ton right now. Um, I don't want to go higher than that. Um, however, to put it into perspective, Hawaii, Honolulu is about $35 a ton. And they still are economically viable, but it does add to the cost per ton of everything that comes over. So if we can stack the capital now, which is I'm, we're working at a uh, feverish pace to do that with the legislature and the federal government, and that's the 70 million you mentioned that that helps with that. And of course, thanks to uh, Senator Sullivan and, and Senator Murkowski, we got that money. Uh, their team did a great jobs in getting us that. And we did. We got the single largest port grant of any port in the country, uh, more than Los Angeles, and Florida, Jacksonville. We we did well in that. So say thanks to. Senator Sullivan's staff and, and Senator Murkowski's staff, they, they did yeoman's work. That's awesome. So we're well on our way. And my thing is, is food security. There's nothing more important in my world than food security. And, and that's what that project gets us. So as the mayor, you're in charge of the port that um, brings goods or service goods to, you know, 90% of the population in Alaska. So is it fair to say, let's say, you know, it's hypothetical, but we're in the middle of winter. There's a huge earthquake that happens. You and I both know those things happen. Let's say the port goes down. Is that a national emergency? I mean, is it a catastrophic emergency that's going to happen if the port were to go down because of an earthquake in the middle of the winter? Well, the, it would be the only conversation that we would have in this state. Um, I met with a senior uh, personal friend of, of Secretary Buttigieg's 
um, who works at the Department of Transportation, he gets it. He says that is an instantaneous humanitarian crisis. Those are his words, not mine. And the DOT is helping us. Uh, they're supporting us. We're reaching out to every last federal agency uh, to, for support because we do not have food security right now. If we had an earthquake, the 4.6 we had the other day, had that been a uh, 7.1 and gone 40 or 50 seconds, um, we would have been in really. If, so the, the thing to remember is that if the port collapses, our best guess is not less than half the population of the state will have to leave the state because there's no food. And that sentence is really important. Because there's no food, a lot of people are going to have to go to home to lower 48 or wherever to where the food is until government and, and all the partners can stand up and get that port um, stood up so we can figure out a delivery mechanism um, anywhere from Cordova to Homer um, to um, over the road through Canada. But this will, we, we saw shortages in our grocery stores this past winter, you know, the supply chain interruption thing. Uh, that will be nothing compared to what will be here if that port collapses. And I know to the people of Anchorage, especially the homeless thing is important. Uh, economic development is important. To me, from what I see, there's nothing more important than getting a seismically secure dock for food delivery at the port of Anchorage. It's simply uh, that simple. There's yeah. nothing more important in the state than that. Not, not pipelines, um, not homelessness, not PFDs, uh, because I see the threat. In fact, I, I didn't understand myself how severe the threat was until I came into office. And then, you know, you get briefings when you first come in. And um, I was briefed on this and I go, that, that issue went from about second or third, maybe even fourth on my list to number one with a distant number two. And, yeah, you know, for folks listening, that are independents or Democrats or, or, or liberals or Republicans or libertarians that are listening to this, let this sink in because you might think homelessness should be the number one issue in Alaska and we got to shore this up and all that or public safety or whatever. This is it. If the port goes down, you will have 100 to 200,000 people without food, without the ability to eat. And you'll see half of Anchorage leave the state very quickly. I mean, this will be one of the cr most craziest things that, that the United States will have ever have seen outside of, you know, something that happens after a hurricane or something like that. I mean, this is a major issue. And Mayor, I, I'm confident that you and your team are going to tackle it. You know, you've, you've done the right things. You've, you've worked with Senator Sullivan and Murkowski to secure funding. You've worked with the state house and the state Senate to secure funding. Right. You know, I hope that the assembly sees the importance of this and continues to work with you because this could be a, you know, cataclysmic event. And so I'm very thankful that you're hitting it head on and hopefully going to alleviate the uh, ability for it to 
you know, have one of those moments where it's the oh crap moment, you know, hopefully it's right. Really and and John, be, just be aware there, there's on this issue, uh, we got a lot of politics in, in our city like we have everywhere. That's how we do our do government. But on this, I don't think there's any space between uh, uh, myself and what I believe is the right path forward in the assembly. I really don't. Um, uh, we uh, we understand the, the existential threat this port failure uh, would pose to the state and to the city. And I but I do want to correct your numbers. One hundred thousand is probably light. We have seven hundred thirty thousand. Ninety percent of them are are fed by this. And half of that it there's a lot of people. And, and it may be even more in that. Now, in this reconstruction project, you know, trying to remove the, the old port that's collapsed, because we know how it will fail. And if it fails, um, uh, it'll fail downhill into the, the path where we need to bring the new, would need to build a new port. This could take over a year to get back to the capacity. And I have great faith in Tote and Matson and, and, uh, and Linden to, to come in and jury rig something where, where, where we could slowly start coming back. But this is a major, uh, there's, that's the only conversation. We will forget our conversations about our kids, hockey and baseball. We'll, we'll forget about homelessness. We'll forget about everything else if this thing fails. And if I do one thing in this job, and that is to get that thing stood up before we have an earthquake, um, then um, I, I will consider a great success in, in my life because it was just a big problem sitting there that I think I was right. It wasn't being addressed correctly. I just realigned a few things. I built a good team to deal with it. And now we are on our way and just hopefully there's no interruptions, political or economic or fiscal, but we are going to rebuild that port. We are just going to do it no matter what it costs. And even if we have to get to the high end of the tariffs over time, it's not going to be, you know, or surcharges, I should be more accurate there. Um, it's not catastrophic at all. It would be more expensive and we're already expensive enough up here, but failure is not an option. We've got to move this forward. And, and I just hope there's no interruptions. And my job is to grease the skids. So this process moves forward as quickly in as short a time frame as possible. I like that. Well, we've, we've uh, went by 30 minutes has went by in a flash. Any last minute thoughts before we head off here, mayor? Well, I I've got great hope for our city. Uh, we've got a lot going on block 41 downtown. We've got some construction pro major construction projects throughout the city that we're going to get to announce. We're kind of under uh, NDAs right now. Um, crime is down. We've created about 2,900 jobs uh, since May of a year ago. Uh, unemployment is very low. In fact, there's a shortage of workers, uh, very, a critical shortage of workers. And, and then housing. We are working full speed ahead on making housing cheaper and more affordable and more plentiful. Uh, we've got to get government out of the way of the building of homes. We simply have to do that. And uh, I've got a great team uh, that's, that's focused on that. We need to turn our real estate, uh, whatever it is, buildings are just raw property. We've got to turn it into revenue generating property that increases the tax base so that the property taxpayer uh, is, is, has less of a burden on operating government. And uh, that's my job. 
that's 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 a key focus and everything everything we do is filtered through that prism of reducing property taxes and uh, it's tough it's real tough but we'll we'll get there well i appreciate you showing up to the must read alaska show and wishing you nothing but success mayor bronson as your journey uh uh continues and i think that you're on a good uh trajectory and i'm really excited about you and your team fixing the port that's going to be awesome i think like I said, you're on the right track there. You've garnered support from Sullivan and Murkowski and the state house and the state Senate and people on the assembly. And I think that, you know, people will look back on your term there and be very excited that a businessman wanted to tackle this problem because usually people <laughs> would not want to tackle a problem this size. So thank you yeah. so much for your work and you're welcome on any time on the Must Read Alaska show. I want to encourage people to uh, that listen, watch, and read Must Read Alaska. If you want to help keep the lights on here, go to mustreadalaska.com. On the right-hand side, there's a little donate button. Click on that. Every $5, $10 helps keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska. If you're already doing that, I want to thank you for doing that. And until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Thank you, Mayor Bronson, for coming on the Must Read Alaska yep. show. Thanks, John.